it begins with us. And as individuals, you got to challenge yourself and believe in yourself. And this is what I think is great for hurdlers, because that's who you connect with. Folks who are curious about the potential of curiosity. And so I think that folks, wherever they are, can, can step out and, and challenge themselves to get out there and run with the crew that meets on Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. in the park in your town. Emily Abadi here bringing you the final episode of this special five-part series of Run Week here on Hurdle. This week in honor of Global Running Day, I brought y'all five episodes back to back, answering some of your biggest running questions and connecting with some fantastic experts. I'm talking Jess Molvald, Aisha Preltier, Jess King, and today, Knox Robinson. Now, Knox has been on the show before. He is a writer, a runner, and the co-founder of a running collective, which started here in New York called Black Roses, which is super appropriate because for today's episode, we are chatting about running crews and running culture. Knox gives us some history of how they came to be starting here in New York, and we talk about the boom of running crews, collectives, culture, catching on worldwide. We also talk about what to keep in mind if you are looking to join a crew of your own, or perhaps if you're just looking to find the right community to lace up and get out with. Really, as always with anyone who gives it to me, super appreciative of Knox's time today. And also, if you haven't done so yet, make sure to head on into Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because Knox is a co-host on the relatively new podcast, called Running Realized. And he talks to us about what that's been like in today's episode. And while you're there, (laughs) don't forget to rate and review Hurdle. Make sure you're following along with Hurdle on social over at Hurdle Podcast. I am over at Emily Abadi. And a huge thanks again to my sponsor at Tracksmith for helping me bring to life this week of content. There's even more goodness if you are a subscriber to the weekly Hurdle newsletter. In today's edition, I am answering even more of your running questions with the help of some really great experts. So if you are not yet subscribed, click on over to the show notes and make sure to get in on the fun so I can be in your inbox every single Friday morning. With that, let's get to hurdling. Today, I'm sitting down with Knox Robinson. He is the founder of Black Roses NYC. He's a writer. He's a runner. You're also podcasting. Can we talk about that? Yeah, I, I, I'm podcasting. I have a, a really fun um, project with Tina Muir, who you know from um, her own incredible uh, podcast, Running For Real. And so much of the credit for this podcast that we're doing together, it's entitled Running Realized, goes to her. So at the end of last year, in the tumultuous times of 2020, um, if we can remember all the way back then, Tina really wanted to continue to push the edge and really not just have a podcast where folks dished and like wrung their hands and kind of like were kind of, you know, spoke about 
newfound politics or like urgent politics, but also with some calls to action and exploring those in a different dimension. So she called me, I tried to send her away, <laughs> but it was a kind of cool partnering up to have two different voices and two different perspectives to, to not only unpack challenges, but, um, look at paths forward and, and ways for resolution and amelioration and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's cool. How have you liked podcasting? You know, uh, it's uncomfortable for me, but I think I'm doing it because it's uh, uncomfortable. So I like it. I I do have fantasies of just like being like a radio shock jock and just getting on or like a sleepy Sunday jazz show host that has like three listeners and I can just get on and just talk and then play uh, this 1956 record from Miles Davis. I want either way. And a podcast is kind of in the middle of that. So sometimes I'm like on the mic with Tina and she's just like, what is happening? You're out of control. You know, so. I would imagine co-hosting with you would be like such an adventure. <laughs> that's putting it politely. That, that's definitely a polite, a polite description of, of the experience, I think. Well, congrats on this new venture for you. I know that it might be a little uncomfortable, but I'm sure that it's it's making, and I've listened to a few episodes myself, a, a great impact in what you have going on. And I'm grateful for your time today because I, and we were rapping about this before we started recording, but something that uh, is kind of like inside bubble talk is that being in New York City or right now you're you and I are talking and you're in LA, we have such great exposure to uh, running community and running culture in a way that individuals that may not be in metropolitan areas like this don't have that kind of exposure to. Right. So when I was thinking about the different types of episodes that I wanted to bring to the feed this week, a special series of running, I just thought that this was like a fun compliment to get some insight into the history of running crews and community, especially with you specifically being the founder of Black Roses NYC. You've certainly made a place for yourself in this niche of, of speaking a little bit about the history of run culture. Is it interesting to you to be like that guy, like kind of this running culture historian? Well, on a personal ego level, it, it is very bizarre, which also makes it a lot of fun and engaging or keeps me going. But I think as a writer and as a storyteller, if I like check into the narrative, it makes sense. And that's kind of why I was excited to get on the um, on the mic with you today, because, um, you know, the reality is, yeah, I'm like a, a co-founder of Black Roses NYC um, and, and have been around this sort of iteration of what we would call like urban running culture or whatnot um, since very near the beginning. At the same time, I'm also a really polarizing figure and, you know, not everybody, I'm not, I'm not the bell of the ball for sure. But, you know, when you're a writer, you're, people don't realize it's, you're not concerned with a popularity contest. With a writer, you're just trying to be on the scene and observe and remember and record and retell and share. So I'm excited to kind of like share whatever kind of insights or anecdotes and perspectives that I have, even as I'm, I'm sure other folks in other camps might be like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> the sound effects, the sound effects. Well, you, as we've mentioned a couple of times here, founded a crew out here. And I feel like do you, what was the proper term you used the first time we recorded a collective? Yeah, uh, I, I actually I co-founded with this incredible iconic figure on the on the New York City scene, Jesse Zappo. 
and together, you know, we, we, we were coming out of this first urban running crew, bridge runners. Um, and, so many of the things that we were putting into play when we founded uh, Black Roses NYC seemed quaint now. You know, we were, it was men and women training together and doing the same workouts. It was performance-based workouts in a track setting with, you know, so people from an elite world or from like a collegiate track background, I would have thought they would have found the workouts obvious or boring, but no one in New York was doing that. No one in, in urban running, even if it existed, no one was, was doing workouts. Um, and so I was bringing that parochial kind of like Tuesday, Thursday, this is what a track workout thing is. So now all of a sudden that's just like a fun night out with Brooklyn track club. But you know, when it was, you know, seven black women running around a track on the East river in January with no lights on and nobody there, it was, it was, uh, it was radical, you know? Um, and then the <laughs> it idea was radical. of men and women training together, you know, like, again, this was Obama era. This was like black and white and brown people all training together and men and women training together and sharing paces and sharing work and trading notes with each other. And it wasn't like a male ego camp over here and a women can't do as much. So they have a modified workout or they're slower over here. It was like, based on like African style, like this is the work men and women, you know, are going to do the same work. And again, those ideas seem kind of quaint now in the, in the halcyon times of this running boom, you know? So you uh, referenced bridge runners being the first urban run crew. Talk to me about what inspired you to create something on your own or co-create something on your own in wake of that being founded? Yeah. I mean, Bridge Runners is an incredible cultural organization. You know, its founder, Mike Sace, is is iconic in that way. And the central concept of Bridge Runners is awesome and is, is a historical fact. Um, the thing about history is that it, the, the sands shift under your feet. And I used to just go to Bridge Runners because it was a fun time and awesome people. And then I had my whole secret sub elite life out in the woods where I was like destroying myself in workouts or long runs or whatever. But after I had like a particularly peak performance in the New York city marathon in 2011, folks in downtown running or urban running were like, wait, this is the guy who comes and runs with us and burns down the bridge and then goes to sweet and vicious and drinks a lot of margaritas. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, how did this guy run, you know, two thirty whatever in the marathon and get a hundredth place. And so people started to ask me, started to want to vet certain workouts like, Oh, is this workout for real? Or how do I get ready for a marathon? And it, there was a little subtle shift in the conversation that people thought that you could do more than just stay out all night and show up to a marathon drunk, band it, and then struggle across the finish line and not get a medal. People are like, oh. And that kind of interest was also already happening in Paris, in London, in Copenhagen, Tokyo in its way. And so people just started to get at me. And the writer in me and someone who was coming out of like a lifelong relationship with running culture begrudgingly started to like share some insight and ideas. And Bridge Runners wasn't really set up for that. And the culture there wasn't really set up for that. And so uh, Zappo and I really wanted to have a 
a curated, dedicated group of people that we can share training ideas with. And I know, sorry to bore everybody. This is like, it was really boring, but yeah, it's boring. But if you like dress it in all black and like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Turn up, turn up the, the transgression. Then all of a sudden it, it's a little sexy. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. Uh, and, and so we really wanted to like deliver and serve these ideas instead of, and just to support people's interest in running. You know what I mean? So what makes this a running uh, collective slash a crew versus just being a bunch of people that do the same workouts? Because I think that's where the question comes in from someone who may not yet have experienced something like this. Yeah. The idea of a, a, a collective really does come from both art collectives in, in New York City of, of our generation, but also you know, honestly, like guerrilla revolutionary collectives <laughs> from, you know, the jungles of a Chiapas. So the idea that we're coming together and it's not about who you are and what your job is or how much money you make or what your background is. The idea that you come almost like faceless and nameless and you just put whatever you have into the experience. You put whatever you have to contribute into the pot. And we just wanted the idea that, and, and everybody, it's a communist approach, you know, as scandalous as socialist ideas may be. It really was the idea that about equality and everybody committing to a central equality for the upliftment of the, the entire good. It's not, you know, in a traditional model of a running club, you might pay your fee and get your workout and kind of like demand that return on your investment. But in a collective sense, the return in your investment is the upliftment of the collective. You know what I mean? And so I guess that's a, a kind of a bizarre distinction between the two different setups. But um, at least in my view, that's sort of how kind of crews operate. Were you pleasantly surprised by the direction that Black Roses went in after you founded it? Did it exceed your expectations? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised by like the high notes and the contribution that Black Roses has made to, to culture. The fact that it's a, a reference point um, in, in running corporations um, and the fact that on a cultural level, it means folks, means something to folks, um, not only in New York and around the world. That's great. Um, some of the sustainability challenges and the attrition that we've had have definitely given me pause um, for the, the course of you know almost 10 years now. Um, and that's something that I continue to work through on a daily basis. And, and per part of that is like my own personal failings. And part of that is structural challenges and contradictions that come from doing something differently or doing something in a transgressive way, something that in a way that highlights women or challenges women or supports women in a performance context and not in like a lowest common denominator way, um, something that centers black and brown people um, and does not center white male authority or white male image or white male hegemony or white male ideas or thinking, all those kind of things. And I know this might be scandalous to some people, but all those kind of things in like a revolutionary historical context are very, very dangerous. And so I can definitely be called into account for the mistakes that I've made and will continue to make. <laughs> um, but on the, on the other hand, um, as a student of history and a student of politics, some of the challenges that the organization has faced might be contextualized 
in an understanding of of just how transgressive and radical the presentation of Black Roses and the proposal of Black Roses NYC would be from the first day. For you, how long after founding Black Roses do you start to see the emergence of other run crews or collectives either within the New York City area or beyond that in some of the other major metropolitan cities that you listed from the get-go? Yeah, it was cool. I mean, it was it was like uh, it was like those evolution, those dinosaur dioramas. You know what I mean? So we were doing our thing and really focused on like our our camp, our cadre of 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 troops, and like training those folks. And at the same time, you know, Joe Donato was was really making you know pioneering moves with Orchard Street Runners, which when as bridge runners, we went out to this first bridge, the gap, this first global gathering of like urban run crews. It was April, beginning of April, 2012. And maybe there's like five crews on site and everybody ran and partied and, you know, there was brand support and everybody was cool and meeting each other and a lot of hijinks ensued. But like, I got out there and ran like 71 minutes in the half marathon and people were like, wait, what? You can do that too. And so I think that had like a galvanizing effect to a crew like Ambro and Copenhagen that really coalesced and obsessed around the performance ideal uh, for both men and women. Other crews, you know, really went deeper into just like a community and a lifestyle sort of approach. And that's equally interesting and valid. So it really was especially shared over social media at that time, catching that algorithm wave, you really start to see, started to see that. And then also because crews are organic and crews are off the grid, ideally, they don't necessarily have the infrastructure or the bandwidth to support a lot of nimble change and evolution. And so sometimes just like with Black Roses or just like with Bridge Runners before it, crews have to emerge out of the, the, their incubators just to explore new ideas, just to explore new neighborhoods, just to to go after different things. It happened in London. It's happened in New York. It happened in Los Angeles. You know, it happened in Paris. And it's exciting to see, even though it may be rupturous for the people involved, that sort of explosion is just good for, for running culture. And also, if we're thinking about what's good for running culture, it's good for people. It's good for the human heart, you know? It's interesting to me when we talk about the differences between run crews or collectives in that a lot of them uh, had started out being very much about maybe the vibe. And if you go check out a Bridge Runners run versus a Brooklyn Track Club run versus a run with Black Roses or Old Man Run Club, I mean, it can throw out all of these different groups in at least my area. It's every, there's a different vibe everywhere. And for many of them, it starts with the vibe. But then sometimes I find, at least in my experience, it does get to now this like pacing different level where it's almost as though everyone there is there to lift everybody else up. But I find myself time, sometimes like falling to the back or feeling as though I can't keep up and wondering, is the crew as a whole at the point where the entire crew is on the level up? Am I on the on the decline? But it feels like every run crew that I get together with now, whereas we used to maybe like it used to be all about the vibe. It's like not all about the vibe anymore. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's, it's like all oh, time and time again, Animal Farm, Lord of the Flies, like we are human animals. And so the good things that 
that really make us fall in love with these sort of experiences can again shift like sands under our feet. As as I think one of the the edges that I've had uh, in my own personal sustainability when folks wish I would go away year after year and I keep coming back, coming back every year, is that like I'm a student of the practice and. I discerned early on, I perceived early on that there's a cycle with so many new runners. Like you get into it, you're super passionate, you wake up one morning and you accidentally signed up for a marathon and you got in. So you're like, ah, so then you train or maybe you don't and it's your first marathon. So it probably goes poorly, like 95% chance it's going to go poorly and it's going to hurt. It might be humiliating. But the thing about the marathon is for a lot of people, when it's going so poorly, something in the human brain happens where you're like, I could have done this differently. I could have done that differently. And, and when you cross the line and your body has rebelled and you're shut down and you're depressed and you're humiliated and the lights are off and your family, your cheer section has gone home, a lot of people, most people think, what could I have done differently? I got to do it again. And that sort of serotonin pump addiction keeps bringing us back. And so then you train for your second one and you get a little more serious and maybe you change your nutrition or you run a little bit more or you double notch your shoes or you like find a more structured organization. And so that evolution of people, it's the human brain that always wants to tinker and make something better. You know, we want a better iPhone, you know, we want a better you know, we want a better <laughs> lifestyle. We want a better domestic partner. So that kind of thing that makes people want to tinker and do running better precipitates those conditions that you describe that aren't always the best vibe. I think on the other side of that, if you ride that out, maybe you come back around, you know, and in the Ayurvedic sense of four different chapters, maybe you come back around to that, or maybe you have to go through 10 cycles. I mean, I've run 30 marathons. And so maybe I'm coming back. I'm just now coming back after like a three-year low period. Like people haven't even been running for three years. I ran peak performances later in life that shocked me. And I fell into like the valley after because I didn't have an infrastructure or even an understanding of how I ran that fast and then what to do after. I'm just now getting back into training three years later. So a word to all my detractors and all my competitors in the corral. I'm going to see you soon. Um, <laughs> Knox is coming for you. I mean, it's the double nodding of the shoes for me on the on the lessons chart. Yeah. And it's also, I, I totally am with you on this. It's cyclic idea because I as well until I got involved with running crews and became more understanding and interested in running culture, I would even argue through conversations like the ones that I've had with you, did I understand my own potential? It's deep because you, I've followed your journey, you know, since we met and I I just, I'm a reader and a writer. I, I love following along with your journey. So when you're super big on your positive affirmation. I'm like, okay, she's on her affirmation bullshit. And then 
when you're on some self-affirmation, I was like, okay, she's training and she just got rocked in a workout. That's awesome. And you're like trying to like sift through the pieces. When you're at your most despondent, I was like, yeah, okay. Dawn the next day, let's go. And when you're like <laughs> on your fire really escape, yeah, you're on your fire escape drinking tea. I was like, oh, she's too comfortable. I'm done with this block, mute. And then when you're on your sad shit at the track with your with your workout and all that, I was like, yeah, okay, progress. <laughs> follow again, refollow, oh, refollow. Like it's just like Knox Robinson has followed you. You're like, wait, what happened? I was like, <laughs> what happened? What it's not an Instagram that? error. No, he's just out when you're happy. <laughs> But I do think that this is the beauty of uh, getting more involved and interested in your surroundings and utilizing the tools that are around you. Because for so long, I was almost worried to get into this sort of environment or even learn more because I was scared of what we all deal with running with other people, which is the inclination for comparison, right? I was scared to quote unquote, not be good enough or not be quote unquote, fast enough. When in actuality, you come to terms with this idea that it's not enough by anyone else's standards. It's really that you get to define what enough is for you. That's why I keep coming back to running or that's why I've just stayed around with running my whole life because not a knock against any other practice or whatever, but the cyclical nature of running and a running journey and the experience of running is so deeply tied to our own experience as a species on an evolutionary sense. This is what happened with our species 85,000 years ago or 65,000 years ago. This is what it is. And when you're, you have a training background also, no offense, but there's no, it's, there's not always a, 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 an arc to a training journey. There, there, there is in terms of body improvement, or maybe you go into competition, or maybe you try different things, but there's not the same highs and the lows. There's not the same thing. Like on the other hand, you could fall in love with cycling and spend thousands of dollars on gear and compare your bike to someone else's bike. But the thing about running is even though there's the human modern instinct to compare yourself to someone else's body or someone else's time running every time draws you back to thinking about yourself and running draws you back to reflecting on your own mystery. What could I do differently? What could I do better? It's again, I'm going to give a capitalist analysis. We're in New York city in 2021 and we're just bombarded with images of, of how to be like somebody else. But running existed well before all this. And so running has the promise for us to return to our own inner sense of who we are as people and as a people. And that's that's what you're in love with. That's what keeps drawing you back. That's what I see in your face in your posts when you have highs and lows, you know? Yeah. No, I feel that. I feel and that's that. what I would so- just say to your, your listeners. And I just I would encourage them to to be open to falling in love with the running journey, whether people are training for their first mile or a 5k that's on the same spectrum as like someone running a hundred miles. That's on the same spectrum as Jess Woods running by herself with other people crewing from Los Angeles to Las Vegas last week. Right. That's we're all doing the same thing. That's the same spectrum. And it's a journey of self-exploration and it's a journey of self-expression, you know, and, and other, pastimes and practices also kind of have those same values, 
but running is our most ancient and our most central and our most intrinsic expression of, the, of that idea. Taking a break from today's episode to give some love to my sponsor at Tracksmith. Tracksmith is a Boston-based performance running brand dedicated to the community, style, and culture of running. Putting on my Tracksmith gear makes me feel sleek. It makes me feel fast and fit. And that may sound a little silly, but even the science shows that when you feel good, you perform better. On top of just feeling good about my gear, I feel really amped about this partnership because it's unlike anyone that I've done before. The company is offering to donate 5% of every purchase using the code HURDLE back to Girls on the Run to help drive change. You'll also get free shipping on your order as well. Now, y'all know that one of my mottos, one of the phrases that I live my life by is do good. And this partnership just couldn't be more of a perfect fit for me. Now why I chose Girls on the Run, I really love what they are all about. Running helped me so much come into my own, find independence, become confident at such a critical time in my life. And I can only imagine what it would have been like to learn some of these lessons a little bit earlier on. Girls on the Run is all about integrating movement as a tool to strengthen a sense of confidence in young girls while fostering care and compassion for self and others. And that is my jam. Be sure to check out Tracksmith's new summer collection featuring styles for training and racing in hot weather. My go-tos at the moment, the Austin bra, the Twilight crop top. Trust me, you will never go back. And don't sleep on crew socks. The right socks will dramatically better your run. Do some good today. Head on over to tracksmith.com slash hurdle and use code hurdle at checkout to get free shipping and support girls on the run. Again, that is tracksmith.com slash hurdle. Use code hurdle today to get free shipping and support girls on the run. When you take a step back now and look at the crew culture and arguably the explosion of uh, running community across the globe, how do you feel about that? What excites you about that? As, as, a, as a, a more advanced in age person, I think it correlates to cardiovascular health. So if people are getting healthier, then that's huge. We didn't have that before. And if people... Are getting in touch with themselves, or if people are letting go of family dysfunction or a dependence on alcohol, if people are quitting smoking or smoking less or just thinking about smoking less, I'm all for it. You know, I have my reservations about the ways in which our underground urban culture was corralled into selling shoes for, for major brands. And I'm a little bummed on a personal level that the tribal nature of our species manifests itself in the tribal nature of, uh, of running crews. But if bridge runners started um, very near little five points where gangs of New York <laughs> um, occurred historically in the early days of New York City, then it stands to reason that that things would be a little rough and tumble. So that also give it, gives it its integrity. But what excites me again is, is the potential for people coming together. 
the potential for people to want to travel and run and explore on two feet rather than burning up fossil fuels, you know, when they get to their destination, the idea that we can go back and embrace one of our earliest elements of the human toolkit and, and bring that into, you know, postmodern life and, and the extent to which that could be a tool of resistance for us to, to not become just consumers and like, I don't know, termites basically just chewing our way through modern day life. If that's something that makes us feel a little free or a lot free, then I got to just fan the flames of that, you know? For sure. And I think last year was interesting. Last year was so fascinating because we were approaching a peak, an Olympic year, all the brands had all their shoes ready, all the narratives ready. And then all the runners in the scene were training like crazy to run their times and be like this elite runner. And this is my coach and this is my crew. And look at how expensive my shoes are. And then everything just had to stop, you know? And I, it was tragic because there was a, a backdrop of, of, of human tragedy on, the, on a global scale. But everything going quiet and, and the hype dying down was, was such a relief for a person such as myself. And it, it was such a godsend, honestly, on a personal level, but also I think on a, on a cultural level for running culture in the scene. I hope it was an opportunity for everybody to reset and to come back, not only with like different ideas or better ideas about training, but hopefully people are coming back as New York City's back and the world is coming back and there's parties and festivals and hopefully people are coming back with a new set of humanistic values after the pandemic and after the convulsions of, of Black Lives Matter. Hopefully people are coming back and the virtue signaling of last year where, hey, we have a black person in our crew or we have a black person in leadership or I'm a black person who works at a company. That's, that's not what it's all about. It's about connection and unity and like uplifting the collective together. You know what I mean? We shouldn't be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that even as intense as 2020 was, it was still just the beginning of the conversation as far as diversity, inclusion, equity, you know, um, equality, justice, social justice, and running. And it's continued efforts, right? And good intentions. It's not just like checking these boxes. So having that one individual at your company or having one conversation with one person doesn't mean that you've, you know, checked a quota that makes you good in your intentions for the rest of the year. No, like you have to actually do that inner, you have to have that inner dialogue and that inner conversation and that audit with yourself about how you can be a continued participant in the revolution of perhaps both what's going on around you, but also inner self. That's what I was saying. The distinctions between a club and a crew, the club, you pay your membership, you get your uniform, you have a coach sending you the email PDF, the whole thing, and you get a return on your investment because you're out for self. Maybe you meet some people and it's a good time or whatever, but you're out for self because that's the transaction. But with a collective, everybody's raised and everybody has the potential to benefit. We got to reach out and lift everybody up together. Um, and hopefully, maybe that's some of the promise and the potential of the crew movement in urban running coming out of, of 2020 is that the crew movement can, can look back at 
what we had going on. We didn't have to become clubs. We didn't have to train harder and have expensive shoes. That's awesome. I'm definitely the expensive shoe guy. I'm definitely day one, 4% NRC Nike run club, you know, club founder, definitely proud of my PRs in the race and I'm racing again this fall. But there was also something special about the other side of things. And hopefully crews can go back and, and, and search their souls for what made it special and what made it a vibe to your word. But also your listeners who are curious about this whole conversation, maybe it's going to help them in Bloomington or Biloxi or Brawley can look at their running club and be like, Hey, what's it all about? Like, can we, what's this vibe thing? Can we have a vibe? Can we, you want to go out for tacos after a run or, Hey, should we, you know, should we host like an unsanctioned 5k at nine o'clock at night, you know, on the 3rd of July or something like that? Just throwing it out there, everybody. You know, should we do it? Is there a hurdlers unsanctioned 5k on July 3rd? I'm not announcing it here, but I'm not saying maybe not. You said it. I didn't. I'm just here. I'm just here like, what is watch she out. Race, race details coming, coming soon. Well, before we wrap this up, what I think would be a great cherry to put on top of this Sunday that we've just compiled together would be talking a little bit about how hurdlers could get integrated into their local running community if they're not so already, or perhaps just some maybe, you know, suggestions or tips that they can use to really open themselves to becoming part of something bigger than what they already have going on. So where would you kickstart that discussion? Honestly, you got to be honest. We know running is not easy. It has a lot of joys, subtle and overt. It's not easy, so, but we're doing it. And you have the curiosity because as human beings, we have that innate curiosity. The same impulse is there when it comes to finding a running crew or a club that's cool that works for you. It begins with us. And as individuals, you got to challenge yourself and believe in yourself. And this is what I think is great for hurdlers because that's who you connect with. Folks who are curious about the potential of curiosity. And so I think that folks, wherever they are, can, can step out and, and challenge themselves to get out there and run with the crew that meets on Wednesday, 6.30 p.m. in the park in your town. You're nervous? I mean, <laughs> it, it happens to me. I, <laughs> I remember one time I was in Ethiopia and I went to this town that's produced like Olympic gold medalists and world record holders. And, and it's like going to like a Holy grail town. It's like going to the Vatican Mecca for, for a runner. And I knew where the workout spot were. The workout spot was like down a rocky trail cross over a stream. And it was in a grove of eucalyptus trees at dawn in this town at 10,000 feet altitude. And here comes Knox Robinson, like slipping and sliding down the trail. And they're in this grove. It was just like, it was like a Wild West movie, like the showdown, except it was all like skinny Ethiopian dudes in running clothes and like old shoes. But they were there in like a ring around this forest and there was just like this mist. And I was like, 
okay, this is a shootout. This is like, it's time. This now you're, you're, this is it. Like I'm dead, but I'm taking two or three of these guys out with me. Some two or three. <laughs> That's not what it's like to go to a running group, but I'm just <laughs> saying like, even for me, I've been in experiences where I'm super intimidated to go out. I ran an unsanctioned race last weekend and I was intimidated to line up with women I've been coaching. I was intimidated to line up and run with like women that I had invited out to come and run at the race. I was like, I didn't think you were going to show. <laughs> <laughs> so the intimidation is real, but that just lets us know the promise of the potential for discovery. So first of all, folks should do it. And then for us who are already in those groups, what are we doing to remain open? What are we doing to make sure that we're imaging and surfacing and communicating that openness. We don't have to be like a running club that's a community food drive and bring a can of soup if you want to run a mile. Like that's awesome too. But what are we doing in our behavior and the way we talk when someone walks up off the street? How are we interacting with them? You know, how are we maintaining our cool and how are we making sure we're wearing all black at night and talking about our plans to go to the Chicago Marathon? But how are we also like drawing somebody in and, 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 and having them come back a second time? Because it's if someone's coming out the first time, then it's on us to make sure they come back the second time. And, that, and that's the, the, and one more thing. A lot of like mainstream media was asking me, what, what is a white ally in running last year? What, what can a white mm. person do for a black runner? And I had seen some of my, my black runners <laughs> in arms kind of have a list of suggestions and reading lists and all that. And I was thinking of your teammate, Tim Rossi <laughs> shout out Brooklyn track club. Cause I was like a white ally for me can drive past my house at six 30 in the morning and pick me up on a long run for a long run and, and trash me on a long run. That's like, and that's Tim and I, like, and you're, you know, the, the bros in Brooklyn Track Club, the Lost Boys, Stephen Finley. Like, I've known those guys since the beginning. And those guys, I want to, I could train with those guys. That's what our connection is. Brooklyn Track Club has its own thing. And Black Roses on NYC, NYC has its another thing. But, like, I do need Tim Rossi and, and Jer and all those guys to come out this summer and, like, come up into the hills in upstate New York and, like, let's trash on some long runs. That's the same principle that exists with all of us. So let's get people coming back and let's make sure if we got to go back and reach out to the person who came the first time, if there's a little bit of curiosity, let's meet that curiosity with that support. So what I'm hearing you say here are two important factors. Important factor number one is to show up and it could be to an organized situation, which could be a Wednesday night at 630, or you might have to figure out how to show up, show up in your own way in your local community. So if you're going to a park where you know that people run, be open to maybe striking up a conversation or talking to another runner, because if that crew is not established, or perhaps there's not something that you could really see yourself in from the get-go, although I would encourage you to at least give it a try, then you have an opportunity to create create your own community and create your quote unquote own crew with whatever is available to you. And then the second thing that is worth double clicking on that I heard you say is be conscious of how you are showing up in that space. So don't show up and have your iPhone in your right hand and expect 
to automatically be embraced in the culture, but rather show up and look around you and absorb and start these conversations and look to others to get a better understanding of how you can integrate into this environment, how you can feel more comfortable in this environment with the caveat that if you are already a member, standing member in this environment, it is up to you to be open to these new people and also not be the person standing there blocking out the potential for what's to come. Yeah. And and I guess one one more thing is, is as someone who was there like in early days, I don't ever hear people say this enough, but this whole thing is made up. This whole thing is just a creative experiment that a handful of people started that like got out of control. When you talk about making up names, just make up starting your own crews are made up. Crews are not real. People are real. Running is real. Your times are real, I guess, if you believe in that, but like it's all made up. So bridge runners, black roses. That's the the funniest thing is this whole time highs and lows. It's just made up. That doesn't make it fake. It's very real but it's made up. And so for folks who are in crews already, remember that your whole thing is made up. And folks who are worried about or nervous about going out for the first time, don't worry about it. It's it's like puff the magic dragon. Like don't don't worry about it, you know? It's made up. It's yeah. made up. Knox, tell me what you're excited about right now. I'm excited. This is super corny. <laughs> but this is how I'm showing up i'm excited to run uh in 30 minutes you know i love Um, that yeah i'm 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 about to go out here and tool around in this park by my house and i'm excited for the future um i'm coming back to uh new york for the summer there we love to hear that well some do some don't um (laughs) there's some secret things happening upstate that we're going to open up for the community with some, some new partners some some new energy, some new alliances. There's some new plot twists that I think folks are going to be surprised right out the window to see in, in a, in a month's time. So yeah, there's, there's a, the movie's not over yet. So I look forward to seeing you in a month or so. The ultimate teaser from Knox Robinson. Knox, thank you for your time today. How do the hurdlers follow along with you? How do they keep up with you? If they can try, give me the details. Uh, I'm exclusively on Instagram. The handle is at first run. But the best thing to do is just come up to me when you see me in the streets and connect because you never know when I'm running past your bakery, your coffee shop. I I ran with a crew the other day, one of these crew that I kind of referenced out in the suburbs of Los Angeles. And like some people were in their phones, some people introduced themselves to me, but it was like awesome for me just to lurk into a crew. So I still do show up in cities and like lurk with a crew. So (laughs) if you see someone who looks like me, introduce yourself because I'm shy. Knox is coming for your crew and he's coming for your croissants. (laughs) I'm over at Hurdle Podcast at Emily Abadi. Another hurdle conquered. Catch you guys next time.